The last Sunday, uh, we are preaching on the fruit of the Spirit, God's transforming power. And we've been in Galatians 5 for seven weeks. And I hope by now that that text is really in you and you've wrestled with it and you've talked about it with your family. But today we're closing in on the last of this series. And I just want to remind you of the big idea. The big idea from this whole series looks like this. God says you have a choice, right? Your choice is this. You can press into and embrace self. You can say yes to self. Yes, 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 yes. Always about self. Always about what I want, what I need, what I desire. You can say yes to self. And by doing that, pressing into that, you are saying no to the Spirit. Or you can say yes to the Spirit and all that the Spirit chooses to give to you, the fruit of the Spirit, and say no to self. And that's a hard choice. And most people have made that choice in increments. Well, you make a, diff- a choice today about this, you make a choice today about that. But what Paul is suggesting is that for your life, for the rest of your life, and for the way you're going to live your life, you need to settle into one or the other. Don't ride the fence. Don't be in the middle. But you've got to decide, am I going to press into self and say yes to self, or am I going to say yes to the Spirit? And then we're asking you to kind of project that idea into the future. 10, 15 years from now, let's say you chose self as your style of living life. And that trajectory will take you to a certain place 10, 15 years down the road. And that place will be the way you're living your life, whatever that is, right? And somebody will ask you, now, why do you live the life that you live? Why why are you making the decisions you make based on self? And you say, well, 15 years ago at Hope Covenant Church, I made a decision that this is where I was going to settle in. And everybody makes that decision if they choose. There's 7 billion people on the planet, probably 6 billion of them have chosen this, so it's not like you'd be alone. But I've chosen to do so. 15 years down the road, your life will have certain things that will come out of it because you've made this decision. And there's a list in Galatians 5 that says, okay, if you choose to settle here, the consequences of that choice, you're free to choose it, the consequences of that choice are these things will flow out of your life naturally and normally. Conversely, oppositionally, right? Oppositionally, if you choose the Spirit and the Spirit of God to be in your life, to Him to take control of your life, you're saying no to self, which is hard to do, but you're saying yes to the Spirit, then things in your life, the natural trajectory of your life 10, 15 years from now would be, well, okay, I've chose to live in the Spirit. On, you know, April 6th or whatever day, what, what is today? Yeah, thank you, Dwayne. Yeah, April 6th, 2014, I chose not to say yes to self, I chose to say yes to the Spirit. And as a result, the trajectory of my life looks like this. And people down the road would say, yeah, it's obvious that you chose to live this way. You said no to self and yes to the Spirit. So that's pretty cool. Now project it even further. Project it to your death. It's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. So we're all going to die, we know that. 100% of us are going to die, so we're all in the same boat. And we're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask the same question. What did you choose? Did you say yes to self, and this is is going to be the formula, this is going to be the way I'm going to live my life, always based on what's best for me and what I want, or did you choose to be in the Spirit? And we have to decide, and we have to say, well, God, I chose this, or I chose that. And, And the choice is up to you, but then the Lord will say to those who said yes to the Spirit, Welcome, my good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. And those who said no to the Spirit and yes to self will be judged for their life. 
And you'll stand before God and you'll simply be judged for the way that you lived your life. So that's the choice we have. Each and every one of us has that choice. So that's, that's kind of, I just want you to remember the big picture. If you don't remember anything else from this series, remember that. That you, as a human being on this planet, blessed to be in the United States of America, you get to choose which trajectory of life you want. Nobody gets to choose that for you. You get to choose it. So let's open the text, Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles that have, you know, cowhide leather, that's the way God intended Bibles to be, right? And um, if you have your Bibles or if you have your devices, your iPhone, your iPad, we put, the, we put the Scripture in your bulletin. We also put it up on the screen. We want the Word of God to be all around you and wherever where you look, there it is. And, and then what I say next in the sermon is what? Read your Bibles. Okay, read your Bibles. Uh, don't believe me. You know, don't believe me. Read your Bibles. See if what I'm saying is from the Bible and then judge based on that. So here we go. The last time we're going to read this together. Now hopefully you'll read it more and hopefully this has been in you now and around you enough to where you really know exactly what God is saying here. So this is uh, Paul uh, the Apostle speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Galatia. But he's not just speaking to the church of Galatia. He's speaking to Hope Covenant Church today. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Okay, there's that, that what do I do? You know, say yes to self, yes to the Spirit, okay? They're, they're in opposition to each other. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, they are. We, we know that. We feel that. We experience that every day. They're constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature... When you say yes to self, okay, this is what I choose. I choose to live this life for me, things that I want to do, things that I want to have in my life. I choose me, right? When you say yes, that's okay. You're perfectly free to do that. Six billion people have done it as well. When you say yes to me, there are natural consequences of your, the trajectory of your life. The natural consequences of that trajectory of your life are as follows. And this is an ugly list, but believe me, when you say yes to me, this is what come, happens. And then he gives the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. If your sin was not listed there, you add it, okay, because it's, it's part of the list. Okay, so all of those things and everything else, every other sin you can think of, because really the definition of sin is selfness. That's what sin is. It's saying, I choose me <laughs> over everything else. Okay, so when you're over here, you're saying, okay, I'm going to choose that, and you have every right to do that. You're a free human being. You have every right to do that. Just remember that the trajectory of your life is going to include these things. These are the natural things that come out of people that choose to serve self for the rest of their lives. Oppositionally, the next paragraph says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. 
If you say yes to the Spirit, you give the control of your life away from me to the Spirit. You say, okay, Lord, I want you to control my life. There's natural things that flow out of your life. You don't have to try to make these things happen. They just naturally come out of your life when you're filled with the Spirit. And he gives the list. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Different kind of list than over here, right? But all Paul is saying is, listen, whatever you choose, just be aware. Choose wisely. Be aware. Because you choose over here. This is what's going to come out of your life. You choose over here. He's not saying no judgment about it. Just is this going to happen, right? So make a decision what you're going to do. And then he goes on. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed. Those who are over here belong to Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God they've said yes to. They have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them. Those things are dead. The Bible says that we're supposed to die to self every single day. And that's hard to do. It's hard to say no to self, you know, when I want something, right? It's say, no, I don't want, I don't want my life to be glorified. I want God to be glorified in my life. That's what saying yes to the Spirit is. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Isn't that great? And then, he, and then we, these weeks we've been looking at each one of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are two fruits that we haven't gotten to because we had seven weeks to do nine fruits we talked about goodness a couple of weeks ago. The goodness is very similar to the word kindness, okay? So we didn't talk about goodness, but it's very similar to the word kindness. And we reminded you that the word for kindness in the Greek is Christos, and the word for Christ, Messiah, is Christos. And what you want to do is be so full of Christos that people see Christos. Okay, so that totally confuses you, but that's all right. I love to say it anyway. And uh, so that's what you want to do. That's kindness. That's goodness. Now, the last two things that are left are gentleness and self-control. Okay, so I had to pick between those two. Gentleness. No, that's not really me. So uh, uh, neither self-control, but okay, let's go with self-control. So when you do surveys, and Barna, Barna does this survey, it says, of the nine fruit of the Spirit, which is your favorite and which is your least favorite? Okay, so what do you think the results showed of that? The favorite fruit of the Spirit is what? Oh, everybody loves love, right? You know, we make songs about it. We have girlfriends. We drink Coca-Cola to the songs. It's awesome. We love love. Okay, so that was number one. What do you think number nine is? Which is the least favorite fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. So, in the first service, I said, okay, I want you to exhibit self-control by not getting out of your seats and leaving right now. And as I was saying that, Brie Kuyper got up and she started leaving. I, and so I called her out on that and she, she was going to check on her child. That's all right. But show self-control. Stay in your seats. I told Sherry what the theme of the sermon today was, self-control. She said, I don't think I'm going to church today. I said, you have to go. You're my wife. Okay. So here she is. My generation is called the what? Baby, baby boomer generation. Uh, people born from 1946 to 1964, post-World War II, all the GIs came back from Europe and, and Asia, and they came back and they started having lots of babies, and that's us. The baby boomer generation, 1946 to 1964. How many of you were born in that era, that time? 
Okay, about a third, maybe a fourth to a third of you. In the first services, about a third of them were born in that area. So baby boomers unite, right? So we're all on the same team. And um, uh, here's, here's, for those of you who are younger, let me give you a statistic. Um, every day, 8,000 of us turn 65. <laughs> we're taking over the world, and we're not giving it back. Okay, we already kind of thought we were taking over the world, but 8,000 of us, right, Yvonne? 8,000 of us are turning 65 every day, and this is going to happen until like 2030, something like that. So there's a lot of us out there. So because of the influence that we have had on this world, on you, here are some trends you might see. The Grateful Dead band will be, okay? So that's just the first thing. Cemeteries will be named Strawberry Fields Forever. Some of you young people are going, I don't get that. Okay, ask somebody old. There will be a Broadway musical entitled Bald, okay? The Joy of Sex will be available in large print edition. That's one of my, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> a Rolling Stones concert will end at 8 p.m. You'll have a party and the neighbors won't know it. Things you bought new will show up in antique stores. Your clothes will have come back in style twice. <laughs> what happened to my bell bottoms? Your, um, your best friend is dating someone half his age and no laws are being broken. You'd rather have a hot bath than a hot date. And there are so many candles on your birthday cake that the heat eases your arthritis. So these are all things that our generation has given you. So we have been known as the me generation. We are self-indulgent, instant gratification. We were the ones that came up with fast food, by the way. You can congratulate us. We came up with that in the late 1940s. We invented, along with Al Gore, the internet, and specifically the World Wide Web. You can th now, you've perfected us, but we made it up, right? Our society, our age, our generation has been, I want it, and I want it now. So I want to apologize for us because the very antithesis of us is the last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Our generation hasn't had it very well, and unfortunately, we've kind of passed that down to our kids and our grandkids as well. But what is self-control? To ancient Greeks, specifically Plato, the idea of self-control was self-mastery which meant that an individual was able to master or control his desires and love of pleasure. In Scripture, the word self-control is actually two words, ego-kratos. Ego-kratos. Ego, meaning self. Kratos, meaning power. Power over oneself or inner strength. That's self-control. Now, remember that list that Paul writes in Galatians 5 when you say, I say yes, this is my lifestyle, I say yes to self? Okay, that list included a lot of things like impurity, hostility, jealousy, selfish ambitions, just to name a few. We all have trouble with self-control. I hope you recognize that. We have a sign out front of our church that says, no perfect people allowed. If you don't think you have any trouble with self-control, this might be a nice time to sneak out the back door because this is something that is common to man. In fact, let me, let's do a group confession. You guys look like you need to confess. It'll, you'll feel better, okay? Now, when I give this list and you hear 
that, oh yeah, that's me, you better raise your hand fast because if you wait till the end of the list, the things get much worse. And if somebody sees you raising your hand when I say murder, you know, that's, you know, so it might, raise your hand early and leave it up there, okay? So when you hear you, leave your hand up there. Here we go. How many of you in the past week have lost your temper? Okay, you're liars. Some of you said I didn't lose my temper. Or eaten too much, keep your hands up. Or spoken an unkind word, or drove too fast, not exercised adequately, drank too much, looked at something you shouldn't have, or spoken when you should have remained silent, or remained silent when you should have spoken up, or gossiped, or lied, or fudged on your income tax, and the list, keep your hands up, okay, yeah, yeah, anybody have, not have their hands up? Come on, Herb, there you go, Herb, come on, baby. You were part of this church at the beginning. Okay, you can put your hands down. We all have problems with self-control. All of us. We all have habits and behaviors that are just, we just can't seem to control. So as I was looking over the New Testament uh, around this, era, this idea of self-control, four things kept popping up all over the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles, and even in Revelation. All these things kept popping up. And I, I narrowed them down to four things. Now, these are four battles you can't afford to lose when it comes to self-control. Four battles you can't lose. And we'll just go through these quickly um, because then we want to get to the solution side, right? We, we don't want to just say, okay, yeah, I know that's a battle for me, right? We want to get to the solution side. What does God say about how we can experience self-control? And I want you to remember something during this whole sermon. Self-control equals spirit control. Self-control equals spirit control. If you have, okay, now, what was self-control again? It was those Greek words. No, don't remember that. Remember this. Self-control means spirit control. We've given control of our life, saying yes to me. We've given control to the Spirit of God. Self-control means spirit control. So remember that. But here are four battles you can't afford to lose. The first one is the battle against anger. Proverbs 29, 11. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Anger is like a, a siren going off inside of you. It's a warning. And the warning, I think, if you're a Christ follower, it comes from the Spirit of God. And the warning says this, I know you're angry, and you may have a right to be angry, and I know you're feeling that, okay? Now, now what you do in the next 30 seconds has to do with whether or not you're going to sin in that anger or not, okay? So be very careful. Sin is not, anger is not a sin. Anger is a feeling. What you do with that anger is a sin or not a sin. So be very careful. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Oh, there's a good word, control. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Words spoken, actions done, when they're out there, as soon as they leave your mouth, as soon as they leave your hands, words spoken, actions done, in anger, always leave a mark. And most often it leaves a mark on you. Anger. This is one area. Now, there's, the Bible has a lot of solutions and help for this. We won't go into that today. But one battle that you've got to win is this battle against anger. Number two, the battle of the tongue. James 3.8. No man can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And the Proverbs, it says, Proverbs 15, 4, gentle words are a tree of life. Just imagine that. Gentle words kind of give the ability to grow, 
to reach out, for the branches to grow, to the leaves, for the tree to leaf out, to the fruit to come on the tree. Gentle words, kind words, encouraging words, words of blessing, all those things give that other person that receives that, this opportunity to grow and to stretch and to become. But, this is always Proverbs, it says, here's good news, here's the bad news. Gentle words are a tree of life, comma, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Now, every one of you in this auditorium knows exactly what this verse means. Because probably for most of us, when we were children, someone said a word to us that crushed our spirit. And to this day, I'm 65 years old, and I remember the day when I was 11 years old, somebody on the playground called me hippo. I always struggled with my weight when I was a kid. I've always, my entire life, struggled with my weight. So that crushed my spirit. Now, I beat the kid up, so that helped a little bit. But that, <laughs> but that didn't go my, didn't make the bad memory go away. And to this day, if I see a hippo at a zoo, I go, oh man, you know, is that me? I mean, there, there's a sense that my spirit literally was crushed. Every one of you knows something like that in you. Words have power. Be very, they have power to be death or they have power to be life. Conversely, you all remember that time when someone, a parent, a coach, a teacher, someone spoke words of life into you. I remember my junior in high school history teacher, Ralph White. I mean, I don't remember all my teachers' names, but I remember him. And I remember after one class one day, he said, Dwayne, you are a really good student. You study hard, you work hard, you know your stuff, you are really... And then Mr. White actually wrote a handwritten note, mailed it to my parents, and said the same thing. I told your son today that he's really... Do you know what? Do you know why I love history? Because of Mr. White. Because I was encouraged. <laughs> because I was built up. Because I was, I was blessed by him. I mean, anytime I thought, oh man, this is too hard, whether high school or college, I don't know if I know this. I remember Mr. White's voice. You're a really good student. Okay, I can do this. And you work... Words give life. They're like a tree. It kind of blossoms. It grows. Or it crushes the spirit. That's a battle we've got to win, friends. We've got to do this. The, the tongue can be a vicious thing. It also can be a great blessing. Here's another thing that we have to win. The battle of spending. The average American has $8,000 in credit card debt. Now, if you're sitting there and saying, oh, I've, I've got zero, then probably the person next to you, maybe your wife, has $16,000 in debt, okay? So, I mean, this is a bad statistic. And you know what? If you paid the minimum payment on that $8,000 credit card bill, it would take you 24 years to pay it off, and you would end up paying a total of $24,000 for that $8,000 bill. Spending irresponsibly cripples us. It cripples your ability to be generous. It cripples your ability to be free of stress, of money. You know why our nation is such, such serious trouble uh, financially? And those of you who are Democrats say, yeah, the Republicans. And the Republicans say, yeah, the Democrats. No, it's everybody. The reason our world, our world owes money to everybody, especially China, do you know why? Because the individuals don't know how to control their own money. And we bless, the, we bless our country. We bless our government for doing that. You know, we weren't in debt before World War II. We didn't, because the people weren't in debt, the country wasn't in debt. Or if it was, it was paid back. We've got to get control of this. The Bible says it this way, Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think their wealth brings true happiness. 
And of those, remember those 7 billion people we talked about? At least 6 billion, probably 6.5 billion of those people believe that if I, if I had enough money, I'd be okay. My life would be okay. This Bible verse says it doesn't. Those who have a lot of money will never have enough. Love of money. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Dave Ramsey says, says it this way. He said, every human being needs to have three jars. You have a spending jar, a savings jar, and a giving jar. We need to teach our kids that. If you have kids, you start out with, make sure they have three jars. And when you get an allowance or when they earn some money, my dad used to give me my 10 cents allowance and he'd give it to me a nickel and five pennies. And he'd say, one of those pennies belongs to God. Doesn't even belong to you. Belongs to God. And so he taught me when I was 10 years old about that. But you have these three jars. Here's what happens. When we don't have a savings jar, that's when we, we charge something because we think we can't live without it. Or there's an emergency or something happens. And when we don't have savings, that's when we get in trouble over here. And when we don't have savings and we get in trouble over here, guess what the first thing to go, go, go is? Giving out the window. We lose our ability to be generous. We've got to win this battle. The Bible, it's all over the self-control, the battle of spending. The last battle, you're not going to like this one either. Don't leave because we're watching you, right? The battle of sexual behavior. The battle of sexual behavior. In my 30-some years of ministry, there is nothing that scars people for life more than taking this beautiful gift from God and misusing it and abusing it. Galatians 5.19, from our text, we read these words. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you always say yes to self, when you always say, yep, whatever's going to feel good to me, whatever's going to make me happy, when you always say yes to self, he says certain things will come out of that lifestyle. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. The first three things he mentions, sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. Pornography, lust, sex outside of marriage, which includes premarital sex, adultery, same-sex marriage. By the way, that same-sex uh, relationship, that same-sex uh, marriage thing, our world is changing and it's kind of an avalanche. We're going to have to talk about this in church. You know, we're going to have to talk about this, about how we as Christ followers respond to that. What do we do? Because what we don't do, we know this. What we don't do is go like this. We don't do that. You know, that's what the church has done for 1,700 years. We're not going to do that. But what we do do really will make a difference. We're going to have to talk about that more. But remember that over these years of my ministry in counseling, more than anything else, I've seen cause a sense of loneliness and brokenness and trust and heartache, STDs, AIDS, saying yes to self constantly and never saying no to the, yourself. All of these things just destroys and corrodes the soul over and over again. Our society is corroded by this. And it's amazing to me because it's one of the most beautiful, amazing things that God ever gave human, humans. This idea of sexuality, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we have so abused it and so misused it that our world is in this constant turmoil. We have no idea what to do with that. These are four areas we've got to get right. Anger, the tongue, spending, and sexuality. All of these things, these are battles we have to win. So that's on the minus side. That's on the I don't have enough side. That's on the want side. What can we do to be people that are controlled by the Spirit? What can we do to be self-controlled people? What can we do to say no to self and yes to the Spirit? So I want to give you three options. Three options of how you can say, you know, depending on what you want to do, 
respond to this idea of self-control. So here's option number one, how you respond to self-control. Option number one, some of you are going to like this one very much. Option number one is this, do nothing. Okay, that's an option. We all have that option. Do nothing. In other words, embrace it. Okay, you're already over here. It feels good. You're kind of doing your own thing. Yeah, there are times I get in trouble, and you know, I get in trouble, and, and maybe something goes bad, and real quickly I run over here and, and pray a prayer, but as soon as I can, I get right back over here. You know, so do nothing. Okay, that, that's an option. Now, I love these three words just because they're fun to say. Debauchery, lechery, and depravity. Yield to those three things, you know. Say yes to self. Yes to debauchery. Yes to lechery. Yes to depravity. Now, this option is very easy. Be careless about what you do. That's easy for all of us, right? We know how to do that. Be careless about what you say. Let the sinful nature, let the yes over here to self, which is your natural bent anyway, by the way. That's kind of the natural way that you're bent when you're born. Let the natural bent drive your life. It's kind of like the preppy boys in Lord of the Flies. Um, No one said no to them. They had no boundaries. They had no restrictions. Yes, 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 yes to self, yes to self. And basically their whole little society was destroyed. So, but that's a choice that you have. Do nothing. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says it this way. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. Now, in order to be successful at yielding to, and here's my fun words again, debauchery, lechery, and depravity. In order to be successful in yielding to those things, you need to avoid three things, okay? You might want to write these down. Number one, avoid scripture like death. Okay? Now, you can read a Bible story to your kids. It probably won't stick to you. Hopefully, it'll stick to them. You can, once in a while, uh, you know, on Sunday, when I say, read your Bibles, you'll say, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'll read this text. And so, but, but don't do it regularly, and don't do it often, because, you know, as, as covenanters, we, are known, we were known as people of the dirty book. Remember that? I've told you that before. What that meant was the early Swedish immigrants when they were done plowing their fields, came in and they read their Bibles. And because they read their Bibles with these stained, dirty, working, hard hands, their Bibles were constantly dirty. So those of you that embrace doing nothing, make sure that your Bible is lily white. You know, don't open it. You know, maybe put your hands on the outside so it looks like it's used, but don't open it. Make sure it stays lily white. So that's the first thing you have to do is uh, avoid Scripture. Secondly, you need to avoid the church. Now, you can be a creaster. A creaster is somebody who comes to church on Christmas and Easter. Creasters are okay. We're going to have hundreds of creasters there, you know, in a couple of weeks over at Tumbleweed Park. But the good news is that when they're there, we're going to, we're going to share the good news of Jesus with them, right? But if, you're, if you want to do nothing, you have to really avoid this thing, church, and especially avoid small groups. Because when you get in a small group, people start asking about your life, <laughs> and they start getting nosy. And they start saying, well, how come you're doing this, you know, and, and you're kind of living over here, and, and yet you're telling them that you're over here. And so avoid small groups, you know, like death. And the last thing you want to do is avoid serving. Uh, don't look at other people's needs, for goodness sake, you know. Uh, let, you know, the government institutions deal with compassion. You don't need to deal with that. Be self-absorbed. I mean, you've got so many toys and goodies in your garage, it's going to take all of your time to make sure those things are running well. So you just have to stay away from all that. So that's one way to handle the issue of self-control. Do nothing. Do nothing. Just say no to self-control. That could be kind of a good mantra, wouldn't it? Just say no. You don't want to do that. Okay, number two, a second option that you have 
And this is one that many Christians I know, and I've done it in my life, have pursued this. Passionately pursue mediocrity. With a passion. Do not choose. Don't choose this and don't choose this. Choose this. On Sundays, oh, nope, that's wrong. On Sundays, you kind of slide over here. Monday through Saturday, you kind of slide over here. And you're constantly pursuing the middle road, okay? Here's what James said about that. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Passionately pursue mediocrity. Ride the fence. And again, if you do that, if you ride the fence, you have to make sure that you're only getting sporadic spiritual input. So go to church once a month, but man, don't go more than that or you'll be a fanatic. You know, that's awful. And stay away from your Bible, except when you read a Bible story to your kids. Occasionally connect to other Christians and make sure you embrace all of your friends over here because they're the ones that are fun to go to parties with. These people are a drag over here. But these, you know, these are the ones you want to be. So make sure that you passionately pursue mediocrity. The third option is this. The third option is dead set right here. Spiritual transformation. It's the only one I know that works. I've tried them all. It's the only one I know that works. You live by the Spirit of God. You let God transform you by His power. You daily say, I choose the Spirit in my life. You daily say, I die to myself. You daily say, Lord, have, give me the heart of compassion for the lost and for the broken and for the people that are different from me. Lord, constantly give me your heart. I choose you. Let God transform you by His power. Let me give you three words to help you remember what this looks like. Three challenges to begin transformation. The first is this, challenge number one, addition. Add God's Word to your life. If you are used to reading the Bible once or twice a week, read it four times a week. If you never read the Bible except what you hear on Sunday, start reading twice a week. Add the Word of God to your life. Listen to Psalm 16.8. I love this verse. I have set the Lord always before me. How do you set the Lord before you, before you? You open up your Bible. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Challenge number one, addition. Add the Word of God. Challenge number two, subtraction. An area where you struggle with self-control. Food, pornography, gossip, anger, harsh words, a critical spirit, cursing. You decide what it is in your life that you are not happy with. You decide that there's still some remnants of this life over here. Even though you've chosen to live in the Spirit, there's still some things over here that you're hanging on to. And you say, Lord, I choose to let go. I choose to let go. And the third thing, the third challenge is compassion. Start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. Start seeing others with the eyes of compassion and love, like Shanisha Taylor, like the woman taken in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Start seeing people and opportunities with the eyes of compassion. Well, we've come to the end of this series of sermons on God's transforming power. And I want to close with a a prayer. So I'd, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to just bow your heads and 
And as you bow your heads and you close your eyes, and I'd like you to just kind of close out anything around you, any noise or distraction. Just, just be alone with God right now in this moment. And here's what I would like to invite you to do. Would you be brave enough to think with me about those areas of your life that are centered in self that you're holding on to? And just by way of actually feeling this, would you take your hands in front of you and close your hands so that they're two fists? Close them tightly. Because the things of self, the things that are not of the Spirit, we really hold on to tightly. And as you do, think about what those things are. What are those things that you have come to believe will give you satisfaction and joy, but yet you know deep in your heart they won't? What are those things that saying yes to self indicate that you're not living in the Spirit? Feel those. Hold those tightly in your hands. These are yours. You've chosen them. You've embraced them. And now with your hands clenched tightly, I want you to recognize that standing before you is Jesus Christ. He's standing there with his hands open toward you. And he says simply and beautifully, give it to me. Let me have it. There's no condemnation in his voice. There's no judgment. It's just simply the request from a loving heart, from a gracious Savior. Give those things to me, and I will crucify them on my cross. And so as he says that, and as you open your fingers and do that with me now, and you can feel the tension in your fingers and how, how tightly you have been grasping those things. And as they're released, Jesus simply reaches down and they take them from your hands and says, I'll take care of these for you. When you do that, you're inviting the Spirit of God to live in your life, to control your life, and to allow all of those fruit of the Spirit to come out of you in a very powerful and beautiful way. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take all of these things that we have held on to so tightly and that you would crucify them and that you would allow me to stand tall and stand proudly in the life of the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God within me. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.
wants to do is he wants to give us his joy and his peace and his happiness that is only available at the Lord's table as we partake of the elements. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. When he had broken it, he gave thanks. And he said to his disciples and to us, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus Christ invites us to the Lord's table this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you are welcomed at this table. Here at Hope, we practice what's called open communion, which means whether you are a visitor, a regular attender, or a member, you are invited to just a moment, the band's going to play a song, and there'll be two stations on either side of the sanctuary. And whenever you feel ready, uh, simply get up out of your seat, come forward, pick up a piece of the bread, and then dip it in the juice and partake of the Lord's love for you. Uh, before we say communion, I invite you to join me in prayer. Jesus, you are the sovereign king of the universe. You are the strong and mighty Lord of our church and Lord of our lives. And this morning, we call upon that strong name, and we ask that you would meet every one of us at your table. I pray that you would lead us to the cross, that you would lead us to your resurrection, that you would